I share my experience from my own experience when I was still a young monk many years ago in West Virginia. I developed a habit because I was just a, a monk, a new monk, ordained monk. I, I ordained in one monastery in West in California in the Burmese tradition. My teacher was from Burma, and I, I spent almost a year there. They have a a very systematic way of putting on a robe. And the measurement, uh, the way you put on a robe, is that it has to be like this hand, and you put here on the knee, like this, so your robe should not exceed, go down like this. So that's the standard measurement. So then I moved from that monastery, and I went to West Virginia to practice with my, with my teacher, Bante Gunaratana, which is a Sri Lankan monk. Then I found out the monks were putting on robes which was exceeding this measurement. <laughs> I made into that a problem. They were senior than me, but I said, what are they doing actually? <laughs> we are all Theravada monks, but look at these monks, they're just don't getting it. <laughs> so then, I thought that was the end of it, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I sat with that for a long time. And then uh, I went to study in Sri Lanka. I, I spent five years studying in Sri Lanka. And then, I, again, the same story, because I'm seeing many monks there and nuns. You know, here was just a small monastery with a few of us. But everywhere I was wearing, everywhere there were so many monks there. So they were doing the same thing. And then one, there was a, a nun who asked me, who started judging me why I put on the robe so high. And I said, why are you putting the robe too low? <laughs> then uh, actually I got to know that they measure from the ankle. <laughs> you know, to put for their robe, they have to measure this kind of thing from the ankle itself. That's why that robe ends there. For us, we measure from the knee. That's why the robe is high. I finally got it. <laughs> I stopped judging them. And also later on, uh, even when I know the reason why they do it, I start asking my question. Did I, I become a monk to judge others? Or did I become a monk to gain liberation? Actually, guess what? I found out actually I became a monk to attain liberation, <laughs> not to judge, to judge others. So I really finally figured out completely. Now I don't mind. I mean, I have a mind, but I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, so it's amazing, actually, uh, to watch what's going on in, my, in the mind. But for me, I was so specifically uh, concerned about how people have these robes which are sweeping the floor, you know. Literally, the robes are sweeping, you know. When they're putting it on, it's sweeping because it's too low. <laughs> and I wanted it to be a little bit high so that it doesn't get dirty. But who cares, basically? It's not, it's not my robe. It's their robe. But here I am, I was consumed with this kind of judgmental mind. And this is my personal experience, you know. So, from that perspective of having judgmental minds, I start having more compassion towards myself. I started having more understanding of how my mind works. And then people start judging me in Uganda 
they say I'm going to I'm going to mental hospital when I'm in Uganda because I I don't put on regular shirts and pair of trousers. People say, "You look at this madman. He's going to mental hospital." Oh, coming into the hospital. That's what they talk when I'm walking there in Uganda. They said, look at this Shaolin master. He's not going to talk to you, but he's going to kick you. So they think, actually, I'm a Shaolin master. So I saw many people criticizing me and, uh, and um, judging me. But really, I found out these judgments are really not... They're very wrong, actually. Very wrong. Because mostly... I'm coming from a meditation cushion. I'm coming from meditation. And when I'm walking, people think I'm going to the mental hospital. Oh, I'm coming from a mental hospital. But I know where I'm coming from. I'm just coming from the temple. We have meditation. <laughs> so they think I'm coming from a mental hospital. So I found out a few things, and I want to share with you. Hmm? These are habits we have. I would call it myth or habits, uh, mental habits, uh, and I'm going. I've just written them down, and uh, because I really found out uh, why I was judging many, many times why I was judging others and even criticizing myself. These are the few reasons I found out. The first one: perfect world. I'm perfect. This world is perfect, so everybody should be perfect. I always tell people that, you know, there are two places where you can, two, two kinds of people you can find out who are perfectly perfect. The first one, you know that, the kind of people who are perfect. You know them? They are called fully enlightened beings. In Pali language, we call them arahants. Those are perfectly perfect because... They have overcome greed, hatred, and delusion. Are we having them here? <laughs> they are perfectly perfect. <laughs> Unfortunately, those people don't get into relationships. <laughs> they don't get married and fight. Oh, no, this fight. So if you are looking for somebody like that... <laughs> <laughs> no marriage. <laughs> they overcome that, you know. But bad luck. Good. You cannot marry that person who's perfect. <laughs> who's another hand? That's the bad news. <laughs> the second kind of people are easy to figure out. Who are perfectly perfect? They are resting in peace. They are in the graves. In other words, those people are perfect. Hmm? They are resting in pieces. <laughs> they are resting in peace. Those people are very perfect. In between there, I expect some imperfection. And I don't take it personally when I find out somebody do something <laughs> less than I expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the first thing I found out. That always I seek perfection in myself, in others. I expect the world to be perfect. And that's why I was judging a lot. No? Look at the situation in our life. You go to the airport. You're boarding United Airlines. You find out the flights are canceled. Where is your judgment is going to go? 
to the company, United Airlines, <laughs> to the pilots. What are you going to judge, you know, criticize, cri being uh, I mean, critical about it? I've seen it myself going to the airlines, and mostly Boston, Logan. Recently, I was going to New York. I decided to, to drive, to get somebody to drive me there. Every time I, I fly from uh, Logan to Newark, flights are delayed seven hours. And I'm from IMWS, I'm going to New York to teach. Sometime I'm supposed to arrive at 7 p.m. I end up arriving at 4 p.m. And next day I have to teach. I'm telling you, I see people who are criticizing the airline, the pilot. I mean, if the flight is canceled, it's because of bad weather. It's nothing to do with the pilot or United Airlines. I remember that day, uh, the, the pilot, when we were landing at Newark, he said, on behalf of United Airlines and Mother Nature, <laughs> we regret our delay. <laughs> it's Mother Nature. Mother Nature is not so perfect, you know. For me, I've seen it many times, people at Dallas airport, the flight delays. One time I think the flight landed and the door could not open very well and luggage could not come out. I saw this guy scolding my friend who actually worked on a desk and he was a Buddhist and he was just listening like this. <laughs> the person was raging and I'm telling you. And then when he left, this guy told me, you know, you know, venerable. I mean, these people are blaming me, but what can I do? <laughs> I don't do the one who caused the airplane to lock in the door, you know? So judging and criticizing and all these things. So then another thing is the presumption that I don't make a mistake. That's the second, mistake, second thing why I found out judging many people and others and criticizing them. There's always a presumption that... I don't make mistakes. Others are making mistakes. But when you look at our life, raise your hand if you have never made a mistake. <laughs> we all make mistakes. But if somebody makes a mistake, we think that for the all, since we are born, we have never made a mistake. <laughs> and others are making mistakes. By the way, having said like this, I'm not encouraging you to make mistakes. Eh? But I'm saying that there's always that presumption that really uh, uh, I'm, I'm always right. I don't make mistakes. Yes, others are making mistakes. This reminds me of uh, a saying that to, uh, to error is human and to forgive is divinity. Yes, I always remember that. To error is uh, to error is humanity, and to forgive is—I mean—to uh, to forgive is divinity. So, really, we all make mistakes. For me, that reminds me a lot. Whenever there's an instance to judge others, I always say, "Yeah, also I make mistakes." You know, they have made a mistake. Also, I make mistakes. It reminds me actually that, that also I make mistakes. Another point that I found out why I really judge myself and others is the separation between I and others, this kind of separation. Of course, we are separate, <laughs> but really think that, uh, always thinking that, okay, uh, 
what people have done, I will never be able to do it at all in, in my life. So I separate myself from others. So we are actually so, not so separate, you know. We are all human, you know. We make mistakes again, going to the second point. But this tendency to separate also is becoming a pro becomes a problem, which leads to the second point. Uh, the fourth point is measuring the mind which is measuring all the time. The Pali word is called mana. Mana, conceit, pride. Um, also they call it, uh, what to call is another word for it, is uh, uh, arrogance. Uh, arrogance, yeah. We measure others. The way we measure people, there's downward measure, upward measure, the equal measure. I'm better than you. I'm, I'm inferior. You are superior. I'm superior. They are inferior. But also there's another measurement, which is a cultural kind of measurement. I mean, it, it's called equal and equal, you know. I am the same like you. I'm the this same, same, same thing, you know. Still is another measurement, right? <laughs> but it's really deep, actually, really to really find out that even the I am equal with you, it's, an, uh, it's also another measurement. This one you overcome, this when you attend... When you, uh, to overcome this, you have to attain the third level of enlightenment. Only you re re overcome it completely when you have reach, reached what you call fun enlightenment. Can you imagine? That means when you attain the second, first level of enlightenment, second level, third level of enlightenment, you are still measuring like this. You are still measuring. <laughs> Only when you, are, you, you have you reached the third level of enlightenment, and you start working on your last stage of enlightenment, you, you, you drop this high feta. We call it higher feta. You drop it completely, and then with the other four fetas, ignorance and other fetas, then you attain the fourth level of enlightenment. Before that, you need to be mindful of it. Yeah, so I'm just telling you how this is a deep-seated defilement of measuring others. And now, lastly... I think uh, this is a habit that we have. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Recently I was teaching in Newark. Somebody was putting a T-shirt. He said, I'm enough. It was, I'm enough. <laughs> I, like, I like this T-shirt. That's I'm not enough. Is a common habit we have in our society. I'm not tall enough. I'm not handsome enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not everything not enough. And the society, that's what it tells us, not good enough. Your car's not good enough. Your computer's not good enough. When are we going to say enough is enough? Can we say that enough is enough or I'm good enough? I think every time I find out I'm not good enough, then I'm judging myself and judging others and uh, this kind of self-critical mind. Hmm? So those are the things that I found out, that uh, there might be others, but those are, the, for me, the areas I find myself caught up always, with judging myself and others and self uh, with this kind of self-critical mind. So that's the bad news, but there's a good news. Life doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> life doesn't have to 
be lived this way, where we expect perfection in an imperfect world. I'm not saying that we should always make mistakes. We should not work towards perfection. Uh, we should not see people uh, in, a, in their uniqueness and all other things. Uh, but it's really very important to watch out these areas where the tenants to get uh, drawn to these habits. Now, I'm going to give you a few things that uh, uh, I've done to work with this kind of mind state. Mindfulness is number one. If you practice mindfulness and equanimity, you are not going to have this problem. <laughs> the self-critical mind will come and the judgmental mind will come, but it's not going to be a problem. Before it will be, you, don't, you are not mindful, you don't have equanimity, then you judge yourself of, of being having judgment. I mean, you judge about being judgmental. So you, you, you criticize yourself for being so critical. And then you actually judgment, judge yourself for being critical and being critical and being critical. So you keep on going judgment about judgment about judgment about judgment about judgment. Many, many judgments about one single event where you made this kind of judgment. I think the first thing I want to tell you that the way to overcome this mind state, apart from a few things that I've seen, uh, I've seen a bumper sticker. This is a bumper sticker that I love very much. Non-judgment day is near. <laughs> Non-judgment day is near. For me, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I would like to modify that. <laughs> Non-judgment day in this moment. <laughs> Not so near as it is, but it's just in this moment. So it's because it's about this moment. Okay, so the first things that you need to do, I also outlined them down, so make sure that we run through this list systematically. The first one is mindfulness of judgmental mind itself. Hmm? Judgment. When judgment mind arises, judgment. Judgment. So you, you actually mentally not judgment, judgment. Because once you see it, then it doesn't take you for ride. Why judgment mind takes us for ride? We enjoy it. Wow! Look at this guy. This person is walking barefooted when it's cold. You know, this is kind of weird. Actually, look at them. <laughs> So we enjoy, actually. We kind of get a, a nice kick out of it, you know. <laughs> Look at this shirt, you know. It's, it's sloppy, you know. So we kind of enjoy doing it, actually. But And we don't see the mind that is doing it, actually. So, But once we start seeing it, then we, we begin to disentangle ourselves. That's the beginning of freedom, right? That's the beginning of freedom. I don't know if you have heard about what you call, it's called uh, Venom uh, Paradox, para, uh, paradigm, no, yeah, Paradox, yeah? So v Venom is uh, 
when a snake bites you, it can actually inject venom and then you can die because it's poison. But uh, doctors and science have used the same kind of venom to treat it and put in a fridge and then put some preservatives and uh, maybe add something ingredients so that they can use it as a medicine. So it's the same poison that you can use as medicine. So judgmental mind is like poison, you know, when you are not mindful. Self-critical mind, when you are not mindful, it can poison our minds. But if we're mindful, then it can turn into medicine. In fact, judgmental mind can turn into what you call being judicious. There's a difference between being judgmental and being judicious. With judgmental mind, it's more of a, um, based on our biases, our greed, our attachment to views, our uh, aversion towards things, our, um, our confusion, our delusion, our fear, our insecurity. You know, it's actually based on our biases. biases. But judicious is based on wisdom, understanding. You, in other words, we can discern, eh? okay, this, this apple is bad apple, you know. We make that discernment. We can discern, oh, this mind state is not uh, skillful. Right? If we don't do that, then uh, we are always going to be judgmental. So it's good to understand the difference between the two. So in other words, you become mindful of the presence of the judgmental mind and its absence. It's, uh, the absence of a judgmental mind is what you call a judicious mind, where you really can see things clearly, based on compassion and loving kindness, based on understanding, based, in, based on courage, based on uh, letting go and generosity. We can say, yes, this person, what he's doing, is not good for the society. But not from a place of judgmental, which is charged. Is from a place of understanding. And you can even say, yes, this person is not skillful because ABC, and it should be very clear from a psychological point of view. But not being on autopilot whereby every mistake you see, you put it on your screen and it's a really bad guy, you know, bad guy, this person, you know, based on your yeah, views. That's very helpful. The second thing that's helpful is actually. Look at your attitude every time when, when you are judging, when you are self-critical. Self uh, look at your mind. Is this something that you are trying to push away? Hmm? Why are you not looking at that area in your life? Why is always when somebody says something, you try to always find out, oh, what is the flaws on this? You know? What are the, this kind of... Uh, what the, is, is this judgment uh, uh, based on uh, fear or is it based on uh, uh, confusion? So try to find out whenever there's a judgmental mind, what's the attitude of the mind? Is it to be self-righteous? Self-righteousness? Yes. So we want to be right. Justify our position always. Eh? I'm right, they are wrong. Have you heard that story? What I've seen in my life always I'm right, everybody's wrong. Most of the argument I've seen, most people say, yes, I'm right, they are wrong. And sometimes they point their fingers like this, you know? They are wrong. And look at these three fingers. 
<laughs> I see most of people say, you are wrong, you are wrong. But also, <laughs> three fingers are pointing to them. <laughs> Self-justification, you know, is very, very common. Look at the attitude you have. Is it the right attitude or wrong attitude? Of course, the right attitude should, should be based on, the, as, as I told you, on loving kindness and compassion. Uh, then you find out where, why are you criticizing yourself on others or judgmental. You can find out the attitude in the mind, whether it's based on fear or, or, or courage or wisdom or confusion. You can really find the attitude. Then the next thing, the third way to really use mindfulness is really to find out uh, when you criticize, you criticize others, how, does, how, do, how do you feel in the body? Because as this is a charged mind which criticizes others, chances are that you can feel it in the body, the tension, the aversion. Have you heard about the saying that the the, the the issues and the tissues. You haven't heard about this? <laughs> the real issues and the tissues. <laughs> you know, so I thought we've heard about this before. <laughs> so <laughs> now, mostly when you have a judgment of mind, you have issues, you know. Try to find out where is it in the body, you know. The body is biofeedback. It tells you what you think is not, is a little bit off, you know. So then you feel, oh, I don't want this thing, actually. So this don't want thing, it kind of uh, localizes in the body, yeah? either pushing out what you don't like, uh, trying to reach out to what you want. So these things actually uh, can be tracked down in the body. You try to come uh, to your body and be mindful of the body, the sensation in your body. What, how does it feel? You know? How does the mind feel also? Again, this is an invitation to explore what happens when you have a self-critical mind, judgmental mind. Next is number four. Is this arising, this judgmental mind? Is it arising? Is it staying the same? Because sometimes we might have this judgmental mind, maybe once a while. Look at it if this is your lifestyle. And if it's a lifestyle, <laughs> try to see if there's going to be some improvement, you know. Change your lifestyle, you know. Uh, some of you are judges uh, as your profession, I don't know. Raise your hand if that's your profession. <laughs> but uh, why, then why do you make it a profession? <laughs> You're not a judge, you know. This reminds me uh, that... If you judge others, you'll be also judged, you know. Yeah. So anyway, don't be your own judge, you know. You can bring in some discernment. Yeah, I think this is very, very important. Another thing that uh, worth seeing here in number four step of mindfulness is to know that judgment is impermanent. It's just only that we cannot, we are not mindful enough, we are not mindful enough to see how it's arising and passing away. It's changing, actually. We can see that. So in other words, don't get disappointed if you're judging everything, you know, politics, this and that, economy, this. I mean, there's so many things to judge around, actually. <laughs> tons and tons of things to judge around, you know. Keep on judging this and this and this, you know. So try to see that, okay, it's not a fixed thing. It's changing. And see how it leads to suffering, actually. 
when you judge yourself and others so much, you suffer. You also find out. And also see that this is just a mind state. It's a mind state. Don't take it too personally. It's just a mind state. Don't take it too personally. Because when you take it too personally, then you start blaming others, you know. Blaming others, then you go suffering, you know. You become a victim of that. And then you, you take things too personally. I read that one in a book called Forgiveness for Good by Fred Luxin. All right, so we go to another thing that I found out that uh, is very helpful is w- to have some kind of patience when something, when people do something uh, wrong or even when I do something wrong. The virtue of patience is very important. It's called buying time. You buy time, you know. This is how I buy time. Is uh, When somebody does something for the first time, I take that to be an accident. This is an accident, really. I don't take it too personally. Oh, he's done that. Oh, this is an accident. Then, the second thing, the same thing happened. It has to be the same thing happened. Then it, I call it a, a coincidence. <laughs> That's a coincidence. You can see how this monk is very forgiving. <laughs> then, the, for the third time when something happens, I say it's a mistake. This person has made a mistake. Same thing happening, mistake. That, the third, that's, that, is, that is the third time. The fourth time th- the same thing happened, that's a habit. And once I see that it's a habit, I have to say, yes, you know what you're doing? It's hurting me. What, whatever you're doing, I feel hurt. And then I really take care of that thing, you know, because I can't leave a habit to keep on going, going, going in my life. You know? So even myself, when I do something, I'm patient with myself. One time I dropped a phone and said, I love you, Bante. <laughs> Remember even to touch your heart, you know? Touch your heart, you know? Like the, next time something happens in self-critical mind or judgmental mind, do like this. I love you, Christine. Okay, again, I love you. What? Say your name. I can't hear your name. <laughs> I love you, Joseph. <laughs> I love you, Joseph. And then feel the warmness. I love you, Joseph. Don't do it one time. Three times is about the right number. Are you had going to the refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha? Three times is the right number. So next time you drop a glass, Instead of saying, this is a bad Joseph, you know, you just say, I love you, Joseph. <laughs> is it not good to have patience towards yourself mm-hmm. and being kind to yourself? I think mindfulness have been overtaught. We need a little bit of another word there, mindfulness and kindfulness. I think so. Mindfulness has been going around for such a long time. And even today, uh, we went to a food store. Uh, It's called uh, Whole Foods. Nicholas was getting me something. We found Time Magazine. They said, new mindfulness. Now there's old mindfulness. Now we are new mindful. (laughs) 
Wow, what's going on in the West? I have no idea. <laughs> Is there new manfulness? Is there old manfulness? Maybe 2,600 years mindfulness from the time of the Buddha. Now mindfulness in Cambridge is new. <laughs> Let's buy into this mindfulness. It's about time when we actually teach mindfulness and kindfulness together. Because yes, mindfulness, you've dropped the thing, but are you kind enough to hold yourself together and say yes? I have compassion towards myself. Ajahnicha <laughs> used to love this cup. And then people ask, if this cup is broken, what are you going to do? You say, it's already broken. It's already broken. I understand the sentimental value you have. You, you might have some sentimental value when maybe a loved one buy you a cup, a plate. And that's what you're using to eat all the time. Mm -hmm. And you love it because of the sentimental value. But when it breaks, don't break your heart. Don't allow your heart to break. You, do, you want, uh, do, you, do you know the reason why I bring this to my heart? Because when I was young, when things break, my heart was breaking also. When I would lose a, a pain which was given by my mother... This pain, don't lose it. When I lost it, my, my heart also got lost. And I say, how am I going to tell my mother that I, <laughs> I lost this pain? Usually they were very expensive pains, and I was very happy about this pain. You know? yeah. So this is very, very important when it comes to objects. When we get these objects, shirts, cars, and all the things, we infuse our sense of self in the objects. Huh? So when we lose the object, then we lose the heart because we are losing ourselves. So that's why I bring my hand to the heart and hold it <laughs> so it doesn't jump out with that shattering of a glass. <laughs> I hold it together with warmth, with the kindness, and with mindfulness. This is very, very important. Another point is... Uh, is actually called reflection on love karma, intentional actions. This teaching is very wide. I think uh, you know this teaching on karma. All of us, we have our intentional actions. Hmm? We do things and we get our results. Hmm? Let's say if you see somebody walking barefooted, that's their intentional action to walk barefooted. And then when they get called, you are not going to get cold. But why do you say this guy is weird? Why is, why is he walking in barefooted? <laughs> you see, reflecting that, okay, people's intention actions will re reduce or, or, or have a potential to bring results, that helps us to hold back so that we don't judge others too harshly. You know? Reflecting on the law of karma. And uh, you should ask, I mean, read more about it, what it really entails. But really zeroing in and really know, oh, these are their own actions, their intentional actions, and they are going to get the results. It doesn't mean that you don't tell them, hey, buddy, don't walk in a cold weather, you know. You can warn people, but don't judge them harshly, you know. This is very, very important. 
Another one I found out which is very helpful, I use it a lot actually. I say, mind my business. When I'm really judging so many others, I mean many, uh, many times I'm judging others, I remind myself, mind my own business. Hmm? Mind my own business. And when people judge me so much, I say, mind your own business. Of course I don't tell them. <laughs> mind your business. No, no. When I'm walking, uh, people say, he's a shouting master. Shouting master. I say, mind your business. <laughs> he's not going to talk to you. That's what they think. that People have this kind of belief that monks are not supposed to talk. They're supposed to be in a monastery somewhere. And even if far more than that, monks are not supposed to talk, they say that monks are not supposed to have humor. They're supposed to be grooming like this. <laughs> it's just amazing, people, the perception they have about monks. I, I didn't know even myself until I became a monk. <laughs> Something I use that also is very helpful is actually uh, looking uh, when I have so much judgment, I get a space somewhere in the outside and look at the clouds. And see these clouds going through the sky without st sticking on a blue sky? There's no clouds here. I'm sorry, there's no clouds here. But uh, during the time, if this happened during the time, I go and look at the sky like this. and say, wow, all these judgmental thoughts and critical, uh, crit uh, self-critical thoughts are just clouds passing through my mind. So I make my mind the sky, eh, which is clear, and I make those thoughts to be like clouds just going through. It's amazing when you look like here, they look so st sticky, you know, very stable, you know, the clouds. But as you observe, you look that actually clouds are moving. Has that happened to you? You look at the clouds just so in one place. But as you look, 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 look clearly, they are all passing like this, without sticking in a cloud. So then, when I know that actually this self-critical mind is also moving, is not going to be the same, ah, there's a relief that this self-critical mind is also passing. For me, actually, nature reminds me so many things. So that one also helps me. And lastly, just in my talk, I want to... Do a little bit. I want to tell you something that I do that. Re this really helps a lot. Right? This is a little bit of uh, reflection on uh, the brevity of life, how life is so brief. So this is what I do. My name is Buddha Rakita, and I follow the Buddha. And I know exactly how long the Buddha lived. He lived for, uh, for 80 years. Now what I do a little bit of mathematics. I say, okay, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm 52. Hmm? So I deduct 80, and 52, uh, I deduct from 80. That brings me to 28. Then when I know that I have 28 years to live, then I say, no, but I think I spend half of it sleeping. So I'm down to 14. You know where I'm going now. Now I ask myself, these are real questions I ask myself. Do I want to live for the rest of my life, 14 years, being judgmental, self-critical, criticizing others? Definitely the answer is no. An emphatic no. 
I don't want to live the rest of my 15 years very unhappy. I just want to live those 14 years happy. And I think that's why for me, that's behind all my, what I'm doing really. I just feel that I just want to live the rest of my 15 years full of joy, full of happiness, not gloomy, you know. Mm. If I find anything that can make me happy, I, I go for it. Because <laughs> I know I have 14 years. Do a little bit of math in your life. <laughs> I mean, you, you can do a little bit of math and really ask this question. I mean, let's say if, if you take 100, and now I'm thinking all of you are over 20, you have 80. Cut it in two. two. That's 80, 40. Who's the youngest one here? <laughs> okay, whatever it is. So even if you have 40 years, I'm telling you 40 years are very quick. I came to United States in 1999. That's almost 20 years ago. For me, it was, it's like this. I landed here in Boston first time, and I went to meditate for three months, and that's where I'm coming from to teach. When I look back, 20, almost 20 years ago, for me, it's like this. So, my friend, even if you think that you have 100 years, <laughs> it's good to have 100 years, <laughs> but uh, I'm a little bit conservative, you know. I take 80. I mean, I will be ripening you know, at that time, you know. Mm, ripening, uh, very ripe age, ready to, ready to, ready not to die, read, ready to, you want to hear this? For me, the, the idea of death for me is called upgrading existence. I, want, I will be ready at 80 to upgrade my existence. <laughs> you know the computer, you know most people have fear of death. Not me. That don't invite it, but <laughs> upgrading existence. I've done a lot of good things. I don't know why I shouldn't upgrade. <laughs> I'm not going around killing people. <laughs> hmm? I'm not going around stealing people, swapping things, you know. Thou, sh thou shall not steal, you know. So I'm, I'm doing the best, actually, I'm saying. That's, I, I can count on upgrading my existence. So now, I, I, that's why I do this math, that I, in this lifetime... I'm, I have 15 years to go, 14 years to go. If I have 28, that's good. And, and that, that's good if I have 28, but still I know 28 is not a lot. That's why for me there's a sense of urgency to do good things and not actually to really get lost in the past and future and judgment and all that. I mean, this habit is so ingrained. You can even be 80 and still judging and you have only five years to go. <laughs> <laughs> to upgrade existence, I don't want to discourage you. <laughs> you have only two years to go, and you're still judging yourself and others. When is it going to end? When is enough enough? Enough judgment. Can we say this is enough? Right? I have only 20 years to live. It's enough. For, this, for me, kind of a willpower. The rest is wisdom power. This, for me, is a willpower to really overcome this habit of self-critical self mind. We've talked about so many things. I think this is enough. Enough is enough. Thank you very much. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.